Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. You know, it's exactly one year ago today that we started this journey through the New Testament Gospel of John. And I would say this, that in all my years of teaching, in all my years of preaching, this has been the highlight. It's been fulfilling. It's been challenging. It's been really, really inspiring. So I would say this to you. If you're watching online or you're here in person or you're up in overflow and you've been with us since the very beginning, welcome back. Welcome back. It's been good so far, right? I guarantee you that we're about to step into the last four chapters of John, John 18, 19, 20, and 21. The best is absolutely yet to come. Now, if you're jumping in for the first time or the second or fourth time, you actually couldn't have picked a better time to jump in, whether you're online, in overflow, in person, here in this room. The last four chapters of the Gospel of John record the central events in all of human history. The last four chapters of John tell the greatest story ever told. I'm confident today, September 10th, 2023, that Jesus is going to introduce himself to you. You say, I already know him in a new way. In a new way. See, sometimes I think we get it mixed up just a little bit. I want to talk about the word new, the word new, because sometimes we look at the story of Jesus and it's like a back in the day story, you know, like way back when. Or if you've been in church your whole life, maybe you're like, well, yeah, back in the day Jesus came, and someday he's going to come again. What I'm saying today on September 10th, 2023 is this. His plan for you is a new plan today. Not back in the day, not someday, but right now. Right now. Your glory days are right now. Jesus is doing something new. He's doing something real. New and real are the two words that I've got as I prayed for you leading up to today. He's doing something real, you know? As someone who spent my whole life studying history, I can tell you that the birth, the life, the teaching, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is historically accurate. It's actually true. It actually happened. But more than that, it's not enough for it to be theoretically true, historically true. It's got to be real. What I mean by that is it applies to you. Jesus is real. His love for you is real. So much so, in fact, that he's gone before you into this spectacular moment. It's his idea that you're here. His plans are new and his plans are real. The greatest story ever told. Let's go. John 18, starting at verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. The Last Supper is over as Jesus and his disciples crossed the Kidron Valley between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. There was a brook running through the bottom of the valley. On that particular night as they crossed, something that you need to know is the brook at the bottom of the Kidron Valley would have been literally flowing with blood instead of water. And the reason is, is because it was Passover. So what that meant is that families from all over Israel would have gathered in Jerusalem. They would have come to the temple in Jerusalem specifically, and they would have sacrificed an animal. Most often, it was a lamb. 
They would have sacrificed a lamb for their family. And the reason they did that was, God, would you please atone for our sins? As we sacrifice this lamb, would you take away our sins and restore us into a right relationship with you? From all over Israel they gathered to the temple in Jerusalem because what they believed is this. They believed that God's presence was right there in the temple in Jerusalem. So on that particular year, 200,000 lambs would have been sacrificed at that temple. The blood would have run down from the temple mount into that brook at the bottom of the Kidron Valley. So as they crossed that brook, I wonder if the disciples remembered the words that John the Baptist had spoke about three years before that. That John the Baptist saw Jesus walking by and listen to what he said. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, what I want to say again and again and again to you today is this. Jesus is up to something new. Jesus is up to something real. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is up to something new. See, when Jesus stepped into human history, he had a new plan. He came to fulfill and complete that sacrificial system. Okay, so instead of families traveling from all over Jerusalem, just trying to atone for their sins, trying to get God to take away their sins for one more year so they could be all right, Jesus came and said, I'm going to handle it all, for all time. Not just for one family, but for this entire family called humanity. Past, present, future. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's up to something new, you know. No more striving. I tell you, September 10th, 2023, no more striving. God loves you. It's not about earning it. It's not about doing the right thing or not doing the wrong thing. It's not about dotting your I's. It's not about crossing your T's. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about anything that you do. It's about what Jesus already did. Behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is up to something new. And he's up to something real. Interesting thought, right? They came from all over Israel because they believed that God's presence was right there in the temple in Jerusalem. But if you go all the way back to John chapter 1, it says this. When Jesus showed up, God put on flesh and bone and moved into our neighborhood. You don't have to go anywhere to be in his presence. He's right here, right now, right in this spectacular moment, right now. It's his idea you're here. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's up to something new. He's up to something real. The story continues. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So up there on the top of the mountain, Mount of Olives is a garden called Gethsemane. 800 men arrived to arrest Jesus that night. A little much, right? I'm going to talk about how many in a second, but first I want to talk about who, because it's actually really important. The 800 men who showed up to arrest Jesus that night 
were made up of two main groups, Roman soldiers and religious Jews. Roman soldiers and religious Jews. Now, if you went back to first century Palestine and you asked them, hey, uh, could you tell me the, 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 the two groups that are least likely to pull a collab? Okay, like who would those two groups be? They would tell you, oh, that would be Roman soldiers and religious Jews. They hated each other. They despised each other. They couldn't stand looking at each other. They didn't want to be around anywhere together. And yet here they are together. 800 of them showing up to arrest Jesus. Why? Why, Why this collaboration between two groups that couldn't stand each other? There's only one possible answer because Jesus is God. See, even today in 2023, people will tell you from time to time, hey, Jesus was just a good moral teacher. He talked about grace and mercy and and love and redemption. Just a a good moral teacher. The problem with that is that Jesus never claimed to be a good moral teacher. In fact, according to what Jesus said about himself... If he really was a good moral teacher, he couldn't have been good because he was lying. Over and over and over again, Jesus said, I am God. Roman soldiers and religious Jews wouldn't gather together to arrest a good moral teacher. They arrested Jesus because Jesus wasn't just teaching about mercy and grace and love and redemption. Jesus is mercy and grace and love and redemption. Jesus came to do something new, to put an end to the jumping through hoops. And for religious Jews, that was an issue, right? Because the religious Jewish Jewish men were the ones who were saying, hey, you need to do exactly what we say. You need to jump through this hoop and you need to do it in this way. And so they had incredible power and privilege and prestige. Jesus stepped into human history, says, I'm gonna do something new. It's called mercy and grace and love and redemption. They wanted to silence him. Oh, for Roman soldiers? Well, they'd been taught from the time that they were little. There is no God but Caesar. Interesting concept. There is no God but Caesar. There is no God but Caesar. There is no God but Caesar. That's what they had been taught, you know? But I'm quite sure that in the back of their minds, they were like, hmm, I've seen Caesars come and go, and some of them are complete and utter wingnuts. There's something about this Jesus. They showed up to arrest him. It's interesting to note that today in 2023, people name their German shepherds Nero or Caesar. And billions of people around the world will tell you Jesus is God. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave to me. Why so many? 800 men sent to arrest one man. Maybe they thought Jesus was going to hide. They needed 800 men to find him. Jesus didn't hide. Maybe they thought he was going to resist. They needed 800 men to subdue him. Jesus didn't resist. Instead, it says this, Jesus stepped up and they fell down. 
Jesus stepped up and they fell down. Now, I want to tell you something really important. If you're brand new to the Bible, brand new to the Gospels, by the way, one of the best places to start, if you want to start reading through the Bible, the Gospel of John would be a great place to start. But as you look through the Gospels in particular, understand this, that when you look at the story of Jesus, everything that happens, happens for a reason. Not only that, but the way that everything happens, happens that way for a reason. It's just so interesting because up until this particular moment at this garden called Gethsemane, the religious Jews, they had tried to seize Jesus before. They had tried to arrest Jesus before. They tried to stone him to death. One time they grabbed, they wanted to grab him and throw him off a cliff, but Jesus never stepped up. Every time you look at that story, what you see is you see Jesus stand down and slip away. Because his time had not yet come. His time had not yet come. His time had not yet come. And, and so I'm thinking to myself, everything happens the way that it happens for a reason. I wonder if you and I need to just call a quick timeout. Press pause for a second. There's a time to stand down, and there's a time to step up. There's a time to stand down, and there's a time to step up. In every one of our lives, I think there are moments that we need to do a better job of standing down. And there are other times that we need to do a better job of stepping up. There's people in 2023 who have a personality called an A-type personality. Another word for that is alpha. Alpha women, alpha men, alphas, right? Alphas. People talk about alphas. Alphas are beautiful people. Man, they're, they're, they're courageous. They're willing to stick their neck out. They have a lot of ingenuity, a lot of creativity. They're willing to take charge. They're willing to take the heat. They're willing to step up. The problem, though, is that there's some things that have become associated with alphas that aren't so beautiful. Like they're relationally aggressive. They're stubborn. They're argumentative. They're sometimes even bullies. Now, that's not so beautiful. The problem is when you live that way, when you live that way, always stepping up and never standing down, the problem is is you're going to end up stuck. I was talking to a buddy a while back, and he's had an interesting last few decades. He's done some things wrong, and some wrong things have been done to him. He finds himself in a place today that he never really wanted to be. And so I was hanging out with him, and at one point, I said, hey, you know what I think you need? I think you need a counselor. You need a You need a counselor. He said, what do you mean? I said, what do you mean what I mean? I mean, like a counselor, like someone that you talk to. He says, why? I said, uh, oh, because you don't live in this city. And when you tell me about the city that you live in, here's what, here's what you tell me. You tell me that you hang around with four people. And when you describe them, they sound like your fan club. They just think you're neat. And they think you're pretty awesome. And everything you say and everything they do, you do, they're just like, you're just so great. I said, I think what you need is you need someone from the outside who can like speak some truth to you. So he kind of sat there, seemed like a long time. It was probably only about 30 seconds. And all of a sudden he stands up from the table. He's like, that's it. That's it. I just need somebody who won't put up with my Let's use sermon-friendly language. He didn't say garbage, so let's say he did, okay? I just need somebody who won't put up with my garbage. And to me, that was such a profound statement. 
I just need somebody who won't put up with my garbage. You know what the problem with that statement is? Our garbage is, well, it's our garbage, isn't it? We become pretty attached to our garbage. We acquire our garbage over a lifetime. It's lies that we've believed, temptations that we've fallen into, pain that we've suffered, trauma that we've endured. We, we, we pick up this garbage over a lifetime. And then what happens is our garbage becomes our garbage. And, and the problem with that is that it ends up in a place where we're stuck. Because that garbage, in a sense, it becomes the old you. It's kind of trapped in the past. Can I give you some examples of some of the garbage that maybe you've picked up over your life? Um, how about this one? I am only valuable if I'm performing and producing. It's an example of garbage, right? Or people always hurt me, so I'm not going to trust anybody. Um, I always fail. And so it's better not to try because when you try, you just look like an idiot when you aren't able to come through. You understand what I mean? And believe it or not, believe it or not, we become attached with that garbage and, and it's kind of like the old us. And the challenge is, God wants to do something new. Jesus has a new plan for you today. The problem is, you can't bring old you into that new life. And it's heartbreaking because you end up stuck. So, so you got all this garbage that you become really attached to, and that's old you. And, and, and you can't bring old you into this new life that God's calling you into, and it's heartbreaking because you end up stuck. And so God's plan for you is that he wants to remove the garbage so that you can step, you can bring new you into this new life. The theological term is sanctification. Sanctification. Get rid of the garbage in your life. Maybe another way to explain it is this, that all your garbage, what it's become is it's become your false self. Your false self. Okay, and what God wants to do is God wants to bring you into something real, but you can't bring false self into this real life that God's calling you into. What you need is sanctification. What you need is to remove the layers of garbage so you can step into something new and step into something real. Here's the thing. One of God's primary and most effective ways of removing the garbage from my life and removing the garbage from your life is other people. Other people who will speak truth to you. Other, other people who will call out your garbage. Other people who will call you into something new and something real. So there's people here today, maybe all of us can relate to one degree or another. We gotta learn to stand down once in a while. Take a breath. Before you get relationally aggressive, before you start to argue, before you start to talk over, before you start to shout over, take a breath, stand down, and ask yourself, is there garbage here that needs to be removed? So I got two assignments for you if you think you might be someone who needs to stand down. Number one, ask people in your life, just a few of them who are close to you, ask them this simple question, are you scared of me? Are you scared to disagree with me? If there's something in my life that you see where I'm settling for old instead of new, where I'm settling for false instead of real, 
Are you scared to bring it up? If their answer is yes, you got work to do. You got work to do. God's got something new for you. Let's go. Let's go. If the answer is yes, you got some work to do. And here's a second assignment that I have for you if maybe you think you need a little bit of work on standing down. If you're a follower of Jesus, okay, when you read the Bible or when you listen to a sermon, okay, resist the urge, resist the urge to say this to yourself. You know what? Fred really needs to hear this. You know what I mean? Like Fred Rica needs to really apply this to her life. Some of you are laughing because that's exactly what you were just doing 30 seconds ago. <laughs> and God's got something new for me. God, God's got something new for you. We, we can't afford, look, 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 Fred will figure it out. And maybe God will ask us to call, uh, to play a role in Fred or Frederica's story. But for right now, how about we say, God, would you please search me? Would you please call me into something new and to something real? So for some of us, we really need to learn to stand down. Now there's others who probably need to learn to step up. Personality type in 2023, people call laid back. Don't you love laid back people? Such a beautiful personality. So easy to hang out with, you know, so relaxing, so calm, not combative at all. Laid back people. But there's some things that have kind of become associated with laid back people that aren't so beautiful. Sometimes laid back people think it's okay to be passive. Think it's okay to be apathetic. They think it's okay to disappear into the woodwork. They think it's okay that their voice is silenced. It's not okay. It's not okay. Please hear me. You're not an accident. God created you on purpose, placed you on this planet for a reason, and it's not to disappear. Your voice really matters. Man, I speak that from so much experience. When we were talking earlier about stubborn people, argumentative people, people that don't listen that well, it kind of reminded me of somebody, and I was just thinking, 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 who, who could that be, who could that be? Dutch guy, white shirt, on stage. Yeah, it's me. It reminded me a lot of me. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and I think to myself, my wife, Corinne, is not a combative person. She doesn't enjoy confrontation at all. Not at all. But from day one of our relationship, she decided that she loved me so much that she was going to call it my garbage. She wasn't going to let me settle for old, she was gonna call me into new. She wasn't gonna let me settle for false, she was gonna call me into real. And look at me now, I'm such a great guy. Isn't it incredible? Isn't it incredible? But for some of us, we need to learn to step up. Maybe for all of us, there's moments for all of us that we have to learn to step up, you know? Remember years and years ago, our family lived in a row home downtown. There's just five of us back then, Corinne and me, and. Our daughter, Tori, was five years old. Lucas was three. And then Emma was three weeks old. It was a hot, hot summer night. All the bedrooms in that little townhouse were upstairs. It was so hot, I couldn't sleep at all. And so I ended up going downstairs to the basement to try to you know, find a little bit more cool and sleep. And I'm glad I did because about a minute after I laid down on the couch downstairs, I heard rustling coming from the kitchen. 
So I head in from the living room to the kitchen, next room, and there's somebody who's pulled the screen out, and they're stepping into our kitchen window into our house. And so I made the decision in that moment that I would step up. And I think two things that you need if you're going to choose to step up, you got to be able and you got to be willing, you know? I think I was able because, because the thing is, look, at the simplest, simplest level, I knew that I could make my way with great haste to that window, okay? So I was able to do that. And I was also very willing, okay? Well, no kidding, Corinne and Tori and Lucas and Emma were upstairs, I was very willing. You know what just hit me as I was telling you this? I didn't tell first service the end of the story. I just ended right there. <laughs> well, it's because they, they give me too little time. You guys don't listen nearly fast enough. And so I, I was just going, okay. So, so, so here's the thing, though. Oh, okay, what, what happened? What happened was, Corinne says the, the yell that I let out in that moment was like nothing she's ever heard before or since. So I'm running, you know, towards the window. I'm able and very willing, okay? This guy looks at me, and, and, he, and he turns, and he runs out of the window, trips over a lawn chair in our carport. I trace him, chase him through the neighborhood in my underwear, but I never caught him. The end of the story. Was it really that worth it? Did you really need to hear the ends? That was it. That was it. You thought, you thought that end was going to be way cooler than that. Okay, but here's the point. Man, you're messing with me. I'm ADD and now, okay. You're able and you're willing. Really, really important you know that. You're able. You're able to step up. You're way stronger than you think you are. You're able and you're way more willing than you think you are. It sounds odd, right? But let me explain it to you a little bit. Like we live in a, in a culture where there's something called the attention economy. The att your attention is worth billions of dollars collectively, okay? And media has figured out that there's two things that hold your attention better than anything else. Anxiety and anger. And, and what anxiety does over time is it convinces you that you're actually not able. Right, because anxiety has you worrying about things that are outside of your control. Can I give you one really, really simple example? Tomorrow. Understand that I'm there. I, I, I worry a little bit myself. I can't control tomorrow. What, what anxiety does then, it has us focusing on things beyond our control. Meanwhile, there are moments right in front of us, things that we could control, but we let them pass because we're anxious. We live in a culture that literally, either consciously or subconsciously, is convincing you that you're actually unable. You're way stronger than you think you are. We also live in a culture that's trying to convince you that you're actually unwilling. Media tries to make you angry. Hold your attention. Hold your attention really well when you're angry. Man, are we angry in 2023? What aren't we angry about? Everybody's angry about everything. And, and, and I think what happens is we come into this place of anger fatigue. Like we're just angry about everything. And, and what it does is over time, it, it makes you feel like you're actually unwilling. Middle school fights. You're ever in a fight in middle school? You have these two guys, they don't really want to fight. And so they stand each other and say, what are you going to do? And the other guy's like, what are you going to do? What are you? And so it's like half an hour. But, and the answer is nothing. No one's going to do anything. That's our culture. Well, I'm going to send a rage post on Insta. Okay. 
Wow. So you're way more willing than that. You know, anger is a gift from God. Correct anger is a gift from God, and, and it's meant to spur you on to do something. You're way more able than you think you are. You're way more willing than you think you are. So if you think that you're somebody where in moments of your life you gotta learn to step up, I got two assignments for you. Assignment number one, there's people who you love in your life and there's something going on that frosts your flakes in their life. I know that. And this week you're gonna tell them. You're gonna tell them. You're gonna call it the garbage. You're gonna call them out of the old into the new, out of the false and into the real. Okay? Assignment number two, do something. Let me put that a different way. Put your money where your mouth is. It's interesting, right? Put your money where your mouth is. Jesus said it this way. Hey, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Put your heart into it. Give some money. Well, how much, Mike? Some, something. It's funny, Corinne and I, from the time that we were married, we gave generously and sacrificially, still do, Now, one of the reasons why, listen, one of the reasons why is because there's things in this world that make me really, really angry. Do you know there's young women in this world who are pregnant and absolutely, utterly alone? They feel completely beaten, completely overlooked, completely alone, completely lost. One of the reasons why Corinne and I give to Southside Church is because we love the Love Them Both campaign that comes alongside young women and says, we love you and we love your baby. You know, there's people right here in the city, right? Little boys and little girls. They're living below the poverty line. They don't have enough food. They don't have shoes to wear to school. They don't have backpacks. They don't have books. So, so we give to Southside Church because that makes me angry to support stuff like Hope for Chehalis and Food for This City. You know, we live in a world that pornography and sex trafficking is a multi-trillion dollar industry. That makes me angry. That those that use it, they feed their flesh and they destroy their soul. Those involved in it, listen, those involved in it die. That makes me angry. People coming from backgrounds of abuse into addiction, into this industry that kills them. So we give to Southside Church to support something like Pearl. It's an organization that rescues people out of sex trafficking and abuse and gives them a second chance at life. See, your anger isn't bad. Your anger is a good thing. It it makes me angry sometimes when I think about this world where men and women and boys and girls, they're, they're desperate for redemption. They're desperate for a second chance, a new start, you know? Desperate for forgiveness desperate for grace, desperate for mercy, desperate for love, desperate for hope. And all the while, I know this, hope has a name. His name is Jesus, and we gotta tell the world. If he can save someone like you, if he can save someone like me, come on now. He can save anybody. The world needs to know that. Let's do it, let's do it. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. 
The servant's name was Malchus. I just love that they mentioned his name. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Now next week, I'm gonna start three weeks on Peter. I love Peter. Peter the disciple, they say he's the most relatable disciple. He sure is. He sure is, but I wanna spend three weeks on talking about how his relatability is way deeper and way more inspiring and encouraging than you can ever imagine. So don't miss the next three weeks. But today what I wanna talk about is I wanna talk about what Jesus said. Shall I not drink the cup? Shall I not drink the cup? What's he talking about? Flights. Over the last few years I've been on flights Certain people that I fly with, they seem to be unable to execute this maneuver. Oh, wait, I'm not allowed to bring a full water bottle through security. (laughs) Honestly, they seem completely unable to remember that. You know, so you're in line in security and you're waiting and the guys are walking by going, hey, you can't bring a full water bottle and I'm with these people and I know they're just going to bring their full water bottle anyways. Every time, you know, you can't bring that on your flight. And so what I've learned to do now is I just try to go through the security line first I get a comfortable seat. They're shocked when the little reader thing finds out they have a full water bottle. They dump it and go back to the beginning of the line. At least I'm in a comfy seat waiting for them. Shall I not drink the cup? Jesus said. Can I tell you something? God wants to take you on a journey. It's new. And it's real. And it's courage. And it's strength. And it's hope. And it's love and it's mercy, and it's grace, and it's forever. But there's something that you can't take on that journey. What you can't take is your sin. And so Jesus took that. The greatest journey in all eternity, you're cleared for takeoff. Because Jesus took the cup. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. God writes straight with crooked lines. God writes straight with crooked lines. What a fascinating story. Caiaphas on the human level says, hey, you know it would be a good idea if one man could just die for everybody. He has no idea what he's saying, but he was right. See, Jesus was arrested. And that triggers a series of events among the most traumatic events in all of human history are about to happen. And if you're anything like me, sometimes you wonder why, don't you? Why did Jesus have to endure everything he had to endure I think the key that you need to understand, and maybe you've heard somebody say this before, Jesus came, Jesus came for you. Jesus came for you, right? Have you ever asked yourself this question? Okay, but if Jesus came for me, where, where am I right now? Where are you? See, because here's what I know about our world. There are people who are on high highs right now. Jesus came for them. There's no mountain he wouldn't climb. But I also know this, there's people in our world right now in some really low lows. Man, they feel trapped and closed in and there's no wall that he wouldn't break down. 
Jesus came for them. Wherever you find yourself today, I need you to know that Jesus came for you. The lowest lows and the highest highs, when it's all good and when it's anything but, Jesus came for you. He endured the darkness. He endured the strife. He endured the mockery. He endured the pain. He endured the trauma. Why? Because he loves you. He came for you. No matter who you are or where you've been or where you are right now, no matter what you've said, no matter what's been spoken over you, Jesus came for you. A couple years ago, I finally got around to reading a book called Nights by Ellie Wessel. I put it off for years and years. If you, if you do a Google search for books that you should read in your lifetime, Night by Ellie Wessel will always show up. And the reason why I put it off for years is, well, I knew what it's about. It's about the Holocaust. About this time in the 1930s and 40s in Germany where they were led by a man named Adolf Hitler. And the Nazi party came up with this thing that they named the final solution to the Jewish problem. The final solution to the Jewish problem. They thought they could improve the world by killing every single Jewish person. They rounded up over six million Jewish men and women and children and killed them for no other reason that they were, than that they were Jewish. So this story, Night, tells the story of Ellie Wessel himself. He was arrested when he was 14 years old. He was shipped off to a death camp called Auschwitz. There's an incident, there's a story there that I find so incredibly powerful and so incredibly memorable. The Nazis, they find a young teenage Dutch boy guilty of conspiracy. They sentence him to death by hanging and they make all the prisoners stand and watch as they hang this young teenage Dutch boy. So the prisoners are all standing there when the trapdoor is released on the gallows. The problem is that this kid is so skinny, he's so emaciated, he's so malnourished, he doesn't weigh enough to die. So he just hangs there. And all the prisoners are meant to stand and watch, but eventually the guards are like, this is gonna take so long, hours and hours and hours, so they just move the prisoners around their day. But every time they walk by this young Dutch teenage boy hanging there, Ellie Wessel starts to hear the voices of the other prisoners. They start to say this. It's a good question too. Where's God? Where's God? Where's God right now when this is happening, when we're in Auschwitz? And, And then Ellie Wessel himself begins to ask that same question out loud. Where is God? And about the fourth or fifth time he asks it, he feels the answer spoke to his heart and to his mind. And it hits him. Where's God? He's right there. He's right there on that gallows. See, I wanna tell you something real. I wanna tell you something new before I close today. It doesn't matter where you find yourself today. Jesus would go anywhere. Jesus has gone anywhere. He would do anything to save you. The lowest low, the most trauma, the most pain, the most suffering, he did that for you. 
There's been times in my life when I felt like I just reached the end of myself, you know? I, I, I cried out to God. I, I was at the end of my energy, at the end of my ideas, at the end of my endurance. And in those moments, it's so interesting because I feel like God is right there and he says, you don't have to yell. You don't have to yell. Here, here, here's something real I want you to know. Jesus is with you right now. He's as close as a whisper. He's right here. And now let me tell you something new. Something new. One day, everything's going to be okay. That's why you came. Everything's going to be okay. I don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. I know that he's going to be with you. He's never going to leave you. He never will leave you. He's going to be with you every step of the way. And sometimes he will deliver you from your trauma. And sometimes he will deliver you through it. But it's going to be okay, you know. Because one day he's going to make all things new. New heaven, new earth, new body, no more sickness, no more pain, no more mourning, no more tears, no more death. The greatest story ever told is about a savior. He's not old, he's timeless. He's doing something new, he's doing something real today. Let's pray. So I just wonder if today is your day. It's not about jumping through hoops. It's not about obeying rules. It's not about dotting I's and crossing T's. It's not about sacrificing. It's not about earning it. Everything that needed to happen, everything that needed to be done for your forgiveness, for your salvation, to restore your right relationship with God, to give you a real life that starts now and stretches into forever, everything that needed to be done has been done by him. Jesus did it all for you. The move is yours. For many of you here today, for many of you watching online, for many of you in overflow, your next step is just say yes to what he's already done. Just accept his free gift. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if today is the day that you want to say, Jesus, I want you to save me. I want real life today, tomorrow, and forever. I just want you to raise your hand right now, nice and high. I want to pray for you right now. Amazing. Amazing. If you're in overflow or you're watching online and it's safe to do so, I would just love if you would raise your hand also. There's something powerful about that outward expression of that inward commitment. It's beautiful. You can put your hands down. I'm gonna pray out loud. Just pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you came, you died, you rose again for me. I pray that you would do something new in me. Give me a fresh start and a new beginning. I pray that you would do something real in me. That because you rose again, Jesus, that you would give me life, real life. Starts now and stretches into forever. And so God, for all of us, whether we've been going to church our whole lives or whether today is our first day, we just pray that we would get to know you better, that we would step into that newness, step into that realness. We thank you for the greatest story ever told, for the central events in all of human history that are still changing our lives today. We love you in your name. Amen. Let's celebrate. So next week, let's talk about Peter. You are going to love it. Bring your friends. We'll see you then.
Put online. My name is Brianna and I'm one of the pastors here. We are so glad you joined us for... Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.